Hello, this is Stephen from the Japan Distilled Podcast. And I wanted to tell you about something that's quite exciting coming up, and that is KojiCon, February 22nd to March 7th. This is an online conference to expand your flavor making horizons, a virtual gathering of mold based fermentation experts sharing the knowledge you need to create delicious food and drinks. And I'll be one of the speakers talking about Japanese beverage fermentation. For more information, visit kojicon.org, K O J I C O N.org, or you can find them on Instagram at koji.con. Please tune in. Sometimes it's inevitable to give in. Sometimes that's the only way to begin. Sometimes hitting the ground with your face down is the only way. Sometimes that's how you finally feel okay. Welcome to the Japan Distilled Podcast. Uh, we talk a lot about shochu and awamori on this show, but you know, Western spirits have been made in Japan for about 100 years now. And we want to take this opportunity to talk about one of those really important categories today. Now, we know you're probably expecting us to talk about Japanese whiskey right now. And I assure you that there will be multiple episodes on that topic coming very soon. But we've actually decided to start with a spirit that's a little easier. To wrap our heads around with much, a much smaller number of brands, honestly, and far fewer distilleries. And that is, maybe you can guess, rum. In this episode, we're going to touch on the history and what makes Japanese rum similar to or different from other rum expressions from around the world. I'm your host, Christopher Pellegrini, coming to you from Tokyo, Japan. And with me, In Fukuoka, Japan, is my co host Stephen Lyman. We are both certified shochu and awamori professionals. We're both published authors, and we both enjoy long walks on the beach. <laughs> Bet you didn't know that. We've been exploring the wonderful world of Japanese spirits for more than a decade, in fact, closer to three decades combined. And we are very excited to share them with you through this podcast. So please download and subscribe to the Japan Distilled podcast on the platform of your choice. Or you can go directly to our website, japandistilled.com. Steven, what's up? Rum's up. This is going to be a good one. I can feel it. I've, I've liked rum for a long time. And only recently did I start exploring Japanese rum. So it's, this has been an exploration for me. And、uh, I know for you as well. So, this, this should be fun. Yeah, this is going to be fun. I honestly, I'm a bit of a novice here. I'm learning. I am not from you know, a sweet spirits background. If you want, I'm, I'm probably going to step on a whole bunch of toes there and ruffle a ton of feathers by calling it a sweet spirit. But you know, I'm from a beer background. And I, I don't know, rum is, is very uncharted territory for me. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way, but rum obviously is made from sugar or derivatives of sugar.、Mm -hmm. You know, it can be made from cane, cane juice, molasses, all sorts of different sugar bases. And so I guess not coming from a beer background, rum was just one of the drinks on the menu. I didn't really think about it as a sweet drink, but、hmm. actually, a lot of rums do have sweeteners added. So that sort of makes sense that you would see it that way. But what was your first rum experience? Like, did something turn you off to it or? What was the situation? You know, it wasn't that it turned me off. I, I drank a ton of rum when I lived in Spain. 
um, you know, I w- it was just, we used to drink out in the plaza and we, we uh, would go and buy these things called lotes. And a lote was basically two plastic bags. One, ba- one bag had a, a fifth of either rum or cheap whiskey and uh, four of these long, uh, tall cups called tubos. And then the other bag had a mixer, which was usually Coca-Cola and a bag of ice. And you would just take these two bags, you would split the cost between, you know, three or four friends and go stand out in the plaza in front of the, in front of the church and, and mix Cuba Libres, you know, uh, for a couple of hours before going to a club or going to a bar or somewhere else that served cheap drinks. And that was my real exposure to a lot of rum. It was always mixed into a Cuba Libre. Okay. Not that far off from mine. It wasn't in Spain and it wasn't in the plaza, but uh, for me, it was in <laughs> essentially beach bars in Florida where it was always mixed, right? We were drinking daiquiris and Cuba Libres and uh, mojitos and all these different rum-based cocktails. And those were a lot of fun. You know, you're you're listening to some reggae on the beach. You've got your, you know, your rum drinks. And so it was just, to me, part of the culture mm. uh, as a young adult in Florida, which I really enjoyed. But then when I moved away, rum sort of disappeared off my map because... I moved to Alabama and people didn't really drink rum. They drank bourbon it was a, and, and craft beer. Gotcha. Well, but this is for me very surprising because you, and I know you very well, do not have a sweet tooth. That's right. <laughs> so th- the fact that you were, you were drinking rum-based cocktails is a little bit of a surprise for me. I mean, wh- wh- at what point did you discover more premium rum brands that maybe you wouldn't want to put in a cocktail? I think the, you know, as a young drinker, I just sort of didn't know any better. And, you know, if my friends were drinking cocktails, I was drinking cocktails. We get like a pitcher of mojito for happy hour. You know, it was probably $8 or something. It was crazy. As I got more and more into drinks and started to discover craft beer and and nice wines and things like that, I obviously, I think my palate uh, evolved. And for me, what really drew me back into rum, there were actually two experiences. One was... Uh, I started smoking cigars. Okay. And this was for a short time in my life that I actually was interested in cigars. And I realized after a little while, they just didn't make me feel very good the next day. So I stopped and I don't really do that anymore. But when I was smoking cigars, a lot of people would drink it with whiskey. But I remember growing up in Tampa, the old men smoking cigars, drinking rum. And so when I would be in a cigar bar in New York City or when I'd travel to other places and and I would end up in a cigar bar, I would gravitate toward the premium runs on the shelf. And even today, if you were to hand me a cigar and ask me what I wanted to drink with it, it would be an aged rum. It would be a, a barrel aged rum. Huh. Would it be exactly huh. what I would want to go with that cigar? Because the the spiciness and the dryness of the cigar goes really nicely with the sweet uh, flavors of the rum for me. Hmm. And that's really where I started to get into it. And I think probably when I stopped smoking cigars is when I sort of stopped drinking rum so often. Although occasionally when I was living in New York, after dinner drink, look at the drinks menu. If they didn't really, didn't really have any whiskey that interested me, I might ask what rums they had. And that was, it was always sort of a, an alternative for me. Hmm. Um, and obviously once I get into shochu and awamori, I drank less of it. When I was in a place that didn't have shochu or awamori that I wanted to drink or any whiskey I wanted to drink, I would gravitate toward rum. It's a, it's absolutely a spirit's rabbit hole. I'm learning more and more. Thanks, 
a lot of thanks to you because you sent me a couple, you sent me a bottle of uh, two bottles of really good rum. And I just, uh, I have a real hard time keeping it in stock, so to speak. Um, you know, and you, you mentioned Japan for a moment there and, and I have found it very enjoyable to compare and cross taste rum with, of course, kokuto shochu from the Amami Islands. It's product that is made in a subtropical climate and made from a very dark cake sugar that is derived from cane juice. And it's, you know, there are some similarities, but then, of course, kokuto shochu, of course, as we know, is made with a rice koji in the starter fermentation. So that's a very distinct diversion from the rum uh, traditions of the world. But, you know, I'm learning that there's a lot of actual rum out and about. You know, it's been, a, again, another a whole new rabbit hole. What, what have you found that's been interesting for you from down south in Japan as far as rum goes? Yeah, it was also when I went to Amami for the first time, which is where all kokuto shochu is made, that I discovered a rum brand that was also made in Amami from the local cane uh, called Rurikakesu. So Rurikakesu. It's a mouthful. And this small distillery down in the Amami Islands claims to be the first rum distillery in Japan. And they bottle in 900 milliliter bottles, the exact same bottles that shochu comes in. There's no pretension to the packaging. It's not this fancy glass or anything like that. It is the cheapest 900 milliliter bottle they can get their hands on. <laughs> and it's it's a weird drink. It I tasted it. I was like, this the the closest that I could align it to in my head, not having tried a ton of rum in my life, but it immediately started to make me think of agricole rum from Martinique, which is a very rustic, uh, wild fermentation, open fermentation style. And the more I learned about Rudi Kakesu, it sounds like that's essentially what they're doing. It's essentially making kokuto shochu, but skipping the rice koji part of it because of, obviously you can make alcohol directly from sugars. And they're just doing their thing. When I was trying to get my hands on some, because it's not an easy drink to find, they don't have a website. They basically don't even have any way of ordering other than like calling them up to place an order. <laughs> and I finally figured out how to order a case. And I get a case of this stuff from the Amami Islands, and it has a handwritten receipt in the box. Love it. Right? It's not, it's not printed up. <laughs> it's not like a form. <laughs> it is handwritten. Uh, and that was certainly a first for me. So it's this really, really rustic place. And I learned recently, this is, was just mind-blowing for me, is the maker, the owner of the company who's making this rum, he got elected the local mayor. And he had to go and that's now his full-time job. So he hired someone to make the rum. This is the Rudy Kakesu? Yes. The guy who, no kidding. Yeah, he's become the mayor of the island or the town or something. And now he's basically got somebody who's making the rum for him. And so I asked a Japanese friend of mine to call them up and try to get more information about how the, how it's made and everything like that. And the guy who answered was like, I don't know, the guy just told me how to make it. And so I, that's how I make it. 
So <laughs> they seem to, okay. they're a little bit in hibernation right now, I guess. I mean, they're still making it, but I don't know how good the current stock is. But All right. between the handwritten receipts and the fact that the owner's off being the governor or the mayor or whatever, <laughs> uh, they, like, how do, they, how do these companies exist, right? Yeah, I know. Uh, but fortunately, you and I both have a bottle of this, so I'm going to make you try this on air. I know you haven't. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't yet. actually opened it yet. So yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna walk over to my bar and grab it. Okay. okay this, so it's in. It's in a. It's in a box. So open the box. Oh, you got a box. And it's one. got. This. Yeah, it's uh, it's got these beautiful birds on it. Rudy Kakesu Rum Forty is what That's it right. says. So it's the forty percent alcohol version. I believe they make a fifty as well. And it is just that 40. standard nine nine hundred ml bottle, isn't it? It is. It is totally just the stock standard bottle with a sticker on it. And let's see. Oh, wow. It's hard to open. <laughs> I've already poured mine. I'm ahead of you. Holy crap. I cannot open this. That is really on there. Oh, got it. Oh, good. As soon as I opened it up, that first whiff, the distillery air coming out of there was rich. Yep. And, oh, wow, this is funky. This is really funky. It's got a pretty, uh, it's a little bit of an amber-colored hue to it. I wouldn't say that this is, it's a very light amber, though. Yeah, but I think it's darker than would be allowed for a shochu, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. Definitely too dark. Yeah, so certainly cascaged. It's got... It's got a lovely floral aroma, as well mm-hmm. as the the sort of molasses or treacle undertones. Although those are relatively light, a little bit of vanilla, and then it's a little bit of vanilla, little bit of it's it's quite it's got got some earthy undertones and a little bit of dairy, and and then it's it's got a a, a chalkiness that threatens to kind of move into into something that's a little bit more plasticky. Oh. Wow, that's wild. That's really weird. I kind of I kind of enjoy it just because of how you know shape-shifting this aroma profile is isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to take a sip and move yeah. away from the mic so that I yeah. don't disgust anyone. Please do. Wow. Mm. I did the same. Oh, geez. Oh, wow. Oh, it keeps going. mm. Yeah. I get tobacco, leather. Tobacco, leather, a little bit of, I'm getting a little bit of um, asphalt almost. Uh, There's a lot of smoke. Mm. Maybe the asphalt is like a tar-like flavor. And, And then that fruit comes in later. It gets sweet again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. A little bit of cherry, a little bit of cranberry, a little bit of, and then a light vanilla. Not a whole lot of oak, though. I don't know where the oak is. It's funny. There's no wood. <laughs> right. <laughs> or maybe it's mixed in there with the, with the, you know, the other earthy tones. But wow, that's a fascinating drink. It is. I wonder if that smokiness I, that you're picking up on, come, maybe it's a heavy char on the, on the barrel. It could be. I would. I would love to know more about these barrels. That was really interesting. I will definitely be drinking another glass of that. Yeah, 
No, it's it's Jeez. it's a fascinating drink, and it it's sort of <clears throat> just with sugar alone, right? When we get into amami kokuto shochu, we're going to talk about the wild variety of uh, styles and flavors and aromas that are available in in that category. Once you add the rice koji, mm-hmm. but just from sugar itself, you can get all of the things that you just described and so much more. And it's just it's fascinating to me. Oh, that was that was really interesting. Yeah, and. You know, the Amami Islands actually were a sugar plantation for all rights and purposes. After they were conquered by the Satsuma domain, their main crop was sugarcane. And that made the Satsuma domain extremely wealthy because sugar was a commodity at that time. This is back to the 1600s. And the same thing happened in Okinawa, where a lot of Okinawan islands ended up becoming not sugar plantations, not slave islands like the Amami Islands, but their primary crops. And even today, a lot of sugarcane has grown in Okinawa. Oh, a ton of it is. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the the sugarcane used to make kokuto shochu actually comes from Okinawa, which is, you know, geographically very, very close. Um, But Okinawa has a couple of modern rum iterations. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, they've got, I know Helios is making a brand. Um, There's Korokor as well. Am I right? That's right. Yeah, Helios makes a, a number of different expressions. I, I haven't figured out whether or not they're different styles of rum or if they are just diluting to different degrees. I know there's a 40% Helios, there's a 50% Helios. We've just begun exploring this category. So there's still a lot that we obviously don't know about everything that's potentially available. And then Corkor is interesting. They make two styles. They make the green label, which is made with cane juice, and the red label, which is made with molasses. Oh. Now, I haven't been able to get my hands on the green label, but the, the molasses version, the red label is actually quite nice. It's, I'd say it's um, actually all of these, the Helios, the Korkor, and some of the other Okinawan rums that I've tried are really on a spectrum with uh, Rurikakesu. Ah, so they're super funky. Yeah, they really are. They, I guess they would probably be closer to the Jamaican style, which tends to be oh. much more wild. And Chrissy like, <laughs> yeah, it's in our wheelhouse, right? That's, that's where, that's yeah. where we like to be. And the Japanese Island rums seem to be that way in my experience with the ones that I've tried. And I've probably uh, been able to get my hands on five or six different bottles from either Amami or Okinawa. And all of them are fitting toward that end of the spectrum. Something like the core core molasses is a little bit on the sweeter side where something made with kokuto tends to be more grassy. Uh, and a little bit more on the wild side. Yeah. But they're all sort of in in that spectrum. I would put them in that little, if you were to draw a map of rum and you've got your super sweet sugar added rums and your uh, your your rums with like herbs and flavorings added and then you've got your Caribbean rums that are much more balanced and rounded and that sort of thing. Uh-huh. But then you end up in this world of like the agricole from Martinique or the Jamaican rums were these wild fermentations, open tank fermentations on islands. I love Jamaican rum. Yeah. J- Jamaican yeah. rum is, is, is fantastic. Can be really, really amazing. And I think, I think these islands and what I suspect is happening. And unfortunately we haven't actually had a chance to visit any of these rum distilleries. And that's something we definitely need to change when we have a chance. Yeah. I, I believe because of the shochu and awamori production in these regions, they're doing open tank fermentations. Mm-hmm. A lot of rum distillation, as I understand it, in some parts of the world are done in closed tanks. Mm-hmm. 
now there, there are open tank fermentations, of course, um, but the house yeast and everything that's getting into these rums in these open tank fermentations makes them really, really interesting and really gives them a terroir, which to me is really cool to discover that there is Japanese rum that can be really, really interesting and have a terroir all its own. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got proximity to volcanoes. We've got proximity to the ocean. Uh, it's, you know, it's a very, very interesting part of the archipelago down there. And they do make a bunch of divine, or they have been making a bunch of divine spirits for centuries. So there's a lot of distillation history there that they can tap into practices that have, that are tried and true for those microclimates. And, you know, you talked a little bit about the, um, the additives. And one thing you and I have talked about this several times now, the taxation laws in Japan being what they are, preclude these rum makers from using any additives. You're right. They're not allowed to add sugars to make it sweeter or any other acids or even anything to enhance the color, right? Or to make it more golden or whatever, you know, whatever look they're going for. That's just not in the cards. That's right. I mean, these Japanese rums are made under a spirits license. Japanese licensing laws is weird and arcane and doesn't always make sense. But there's a shochu making license. There is a spirits making license. There's a liqueur making license. There's a whiskey making license, right? And a single distillery can hold multiple licenses, uh, but they're restricted to make whatever those licenses allow them to make. Mm -hmm. If you were to work under a spirits license to make rum in Japan, then you cannot add anything to it or it's no longer a spirit. It becomes a liqueur. Now, if you have a liqueur license, you can add things to your rum, but then you have to label it as a liqueur. It can't be labeled as a rum. So in that sense, the Japanese regulations, as willy-nilly as they seem to be, might actually help make Japanese rum a more pure expression of 100% cane spirit. Right. You can just trust that it's going to be, it's going to be rum and nothing else. And that's definitely going to help the category moving forward, I feel. I, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who would really appreciate the fact that purity is written into the licenses. That's right. Yeah. Now, there are rum styles that are specifically designed to have additives. Sure. Right. Uh, so that's not necessarily a, a no-no in rum. Mm -hmm. Like nobody wants coloring or flavoring added to their whiskey. And I completely get that. But there are rum styles where adding things is expected. Sure. So it's not necessarily that a pure 100% cane spirit is a better drink, mm -hmm. but it may be more interesting because you're not masking the uh, the wildness, the funkiness, the weirdness that comes through in these wild or open fermentations uh, in these hot, humid climates. Mm -hmm. And so you're getting a more interesting drink, most likely, if you don't have additives, if, if nothing else. Well, let's move on to... Uh the other specimen that we have today, which is very, very different. And you can talk a bit more about this distillery than I can, but something that's really only available again in Japan. And even then is not hard to get your hands on. I had to scramble on the internet to get my bottle. I know it's sold right near you. Um, but let's take a look at nine leaves. Okay. Yep. So nine leaves is a 
distillery actually in which prefecture? Shiga? Is it in Shiga? I think it's in Shiga. I'm opening my bottle right now. And Nine Leaves from Shiga Prefecture, that's actually north of Osaka. That's east of Kyoto. So suddenly we're up on Honshu. We're on the main island. We're not in the tropics anymore or the subtropics as Okinawa and Amami would be. And I don't know the exact location of this distillery, but I don't believe it's near the water. And this is their Encrypted 3 brand. And just straight out of the out of the bottle, it's it's a very different animal. It's darker, for one, much darker. Yeah, we're we're in whiskey color here. We're in amber, basically. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's a more balanced or it's smoother anyway on the attack. Yeah, yeah. None of the tobacco or the cement or tar or <laughs> any of the other things we talked about before. Uh huh. This is much more what I would think of as a as a classic rum, as far as what you might get from a maybe a Cuban rum or or Puerto Rican rum, something that's designed to be enjoyed. A lot of fruit on this as well on the nose. A lot of sweet cherry, mm-hmm. very red cherry. Yep, and definitely get cherry, and I get I get oak as well. And it's an elevated alcohol percentage. What is it? Fifty eight. 58%. And, but right. it doesn't blast your... I mean, my face isn't melting from ethanol fumes or anything like that, but you can definitely feel that it's got some heat. Absolutely. A very different expression. Oh. And doesn't doesn't burn as much as you expect for the alcohol. For 58, no, not at all. Very sweet. Oh, wow. I really like that. That's also, it's completely different, mm-hmm. but v- highly enjoyable. That would be a very dangerous one. It yeah. is going to be dangerous. I anticipate <laughs> that bottle of s- surviving uh, about a fortnight in this house. <laughs> the, But it's so different. Like the other, like I said, the island rums from Japan, the Okinawan or Amami rums all fit in this this specific flavor spectrum that I associate with sort of wild fermentation, open fermentation. And this is just completely different. This feels much more controlled, much more reserved, much more careful in the production. And I think much more of what I would expect from a seasoned rum maker who's being very careful in in what they're doing. Perhaps a little bit less experimental, maybe a little bit more control of the fermentation, whether it be temperature or how much house yeast or wild yeast you're letting into it, but it's it's a really, really nice, really elegant drink. Let's talk a little bit about price point. I don't remember how much the Ruri Kakesu was exactly, but I seem to recall 4,500 yen. Does that sound reasonable? 4,000 4, yen or something? Oh, I think it might be even less than that. Was it? I think we might be in the 3,500 yen range perhaps, which is around... Okay, which is about 32 bucks or something. That's right, 30 to $35. US dollars. US. The Nine Leaves Encrypted 3, which is a limited run, was I think around 80, around 8,000 yen. Is that right? Yeah, I paid, including shipping, close to nine. Okay. 
Yeah, this is a premium drink. 9,000, so 90 bucks. Yeah. And it's premium packaging as well. It's beautiful glass, really nice form factor, nice label, lots of English on the label, actually, which is not so uncommon when you're talking about Japanese uh, expressions of Western spirits, but it still was nice to see some things that were easily legible to the uh, non-Japanese speaker. Well, the back label is virtually completely Japanese. Sure. But if people want to get a more in-depth rundown of this drink, what's the name of that website that you brought my attention to that had those detailed notes on it? That's right. That's actually thelonecaner.com, which is a really fantastic resource, I think, for anyone who is interested in learning more about rum generally. Uh, Lance, who's the, the writer for that site, it feels like he calls himself the Lone Caner, and I completely get it because... There's so many people that are deep diving on whiskey, whether it's American bourbon or scotch or Japanese whiskey. Obviously, we're geeking out about shochu and awamori all the time. He is so deep into rum, and he he has an encyclopedic listing of different rums. And when I was looking up Nine Leaves, I was in the liquor store. I found the bottle on the shelf. Just happened, it just happened to be there. And I Googled it and I saw his review and I read it and I was like, I have to try this. It sounds sounds fantastic. And since then, I've started to learn a lot more from him. And his website is actually really well resourced. So you can uh, click through to articles on other websites to learn about the history, the different styles, the expressions and everything. And it's been, it's been a new rabbit hole. Like I've spent way more time reading about rum over the last week or two as we prepared this, for this episode than I ever thought I would. And it's it's a really interesting category. Spent a lot of money too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah I actually picked up three new bottles today, and it was north of one hundred and fifty dollars for just three. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crikey! Yep, that's that's how we roll. Unfortunately, for better or for worse, I think it's for better. But I'm running out of space to add all these extra bottles. Um, yeah, for me, this has been really interesting just to juxtapose these spirits with the kokuto shochu that we hold so near and dear and look at some of the similar some of the similar backbones of flavors and aromas and then look at how they flare off in different directions at different ABVs and it's really fascinating to see how as you said how just a purely cane juice or molasses derived spirit can veer in so many so many different directions and i think the nature of where it's made how it's made is a very important part of that something that we'll be digging into a lot more in the weeks and months to come well i really appreciate you taking this journey with me christopher and learning a little bit more about japanese rum i'm really glad as somebody who's enjoyed rum for a while to find that there are really interesting expressions here that i really wasn't aware of when i moved to japan uh, under three years ago. And I'd also like to thank all of you for listening. If you would like to learn more about Kokuto Shochu, please consider buying Christopher's book, The Shochu Handbook, available on Amazon and other ebook platforms. A nice resource we discovered in researching this, which I mentioned earlier, is thelonecaner.com, which has pretty amazing reviews of several of these rums and lots of links to other rum websites. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter at shochu underscore danji. That's uh, S-H-O-C-H-U underscore D-A-N-J-I. I feel like I should change my handle so I don't have to spell it every episode, but I'll wait on that. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher, do you have any closing thoughts? Well, 
thank you for the shout out for my book. So of course, you're going to want to pick up a copy of Stephen's book as well if you don't already have one, The Complete Guide to Japanese Drinks, if you want to learn more about Japanese alcohol traditions in general. And I'm talking about shochu and awamori, of course, but also Japanese beer, whiskey, sake. And there is a tiny bit of information on rum as well in that book. Um, it's available on Amazon as well as through your local bookseller. And if not, then please ask them to source it. Also, please tune in every week to our Shochu Pros Show Tuesday Instagram Live on my Instagram feed. That's every Wednesday morning in Japan, Tuesday evening on the East Coast of the United States. You can find me at Chris Pellegrini. Pellegrini is P-E-L-L-E-G-R-I-N-I on Twitter. And then Christopher Pellegrini on Instagram. So we hope that you have enjoyed this episode of the Japan Distilled Podcast. If so, please rate or review us on your favorite podcast listening app. And we'll be back in your feed soon with our next episode. This has been Christopher Pellegrini with my co-host Stephen Lyman. Our theme song is Begin Anywhere by the very talented Tomoko Miyata. Audio engineering by the incomparable Rich Pav, who also edits the fantastic Uncanny Japan podcast with Teresa Matsuura. Please give that show a listen as well if you're interested in Japanese ghost stories. And to everyone out there, wherever you are, whatever you're sipping right now, Stephen and I wish you a very hearty and heartfelt kanpai. Kanpai.